Welcome to Blitzcats, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to the holiday edition of Blitzcast. That's right. Christmas is right around the corner. How are you? Are you in that holiday spirit? You know, I I am a little bit in the holiday spirit, but I have to say it's kind of a weird year. I mean, with the coronavirus and just just I mean, it's it's not the same. You know, I'm I'm choosing to not travel and and I haven't traveled for a while. And so it's um, it's a little weird. A lot of people are in that same predicament as you. And um, obviously those people that choose to travel, be safe out there, wear a mask use the antiseptic and uh, wash your hands stay safe out there on the road as as we get to the holiday season it feels like holiday season because you and i in previous years we always talked about the browns in terms of some negative stories when are they going to find a real coach when are they going to get it together when are they going to finally hit on a quarterback when are they when are they going to get players that will actually complete this team? When are the Browns going to make the playoffs? Well, you know what, Ed? This year, the Browns are have hit their stride. They're peaking right now, and they're playing well. They're sitting 10-4, and four, and it seems like the, the Kevin Stefanski hiring was a good one. Yeah, I, I would echo that, that St- Kevin Stefanski might be the best hire of the offseason. And, you know, I think this was the guy they were thinking about getting, and now he's the guy they got. And it's it's paid dividends for them. But there's, there's other things that are going well for this team. I mean, Baker Mayfield is having a great year. I mean, he's having the best year of his young career. Their linebacking core is playing great. They have some talent on the offensive line. You know, especially at the guards, you know, Wyatt Teller, who's hurt right now, but Wyatt Teller has been having a great year. Joel Batonio, Jack Conklin, they're all opening doors for Nick Chubb. I mean, this team can run the ball and pass the ball. I really, I really think highly of this Browns team right now. And according to Bovada Sportsbook, uh, the Browns are nine and a half point favorites against the New York Jets. That's right, the Jets team that... They finally got the first win against a pretty good Los Angeles Rams team, and the Jets don't have the first pick in the draft. But let's circle back to the Cleveland Browns, because it's all about the running game, though. Stefanski brought a strong running game to this team like he had with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, so obviously Stefanski had you know Dalvin Cook. And that was his go-to guy. He made him into a great running back. And here he has Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and he has been relying on them. It's all about that running game. It's all about opening up those holes. And the offensive line is, is playing great. They have fixed it. They signed Jack Conklin to be their right tackle. They got Jedrick Wells in the draft to be their left tackle. Those guys have been terrific. So Mayfield is not asked to win game. He is getting back in the pocket he's doing those play action passes he's spreading the ball around he's taking care of the football and i think that's what they're asking him to do make good decisions and baker mayfield has been doing a great job of it 
especially the past, I would say, four or five weeks. You saw them against the Steelers. I'm sure they impressed you in that they game. They sure did. I mean, I, I don't think that was one of their better games. I think, I think what's great about them now is that they're playing really well now down the stretch. And, I mean, speaking of Steelers and Browns, I mean, the Steelers are playing terrible right now, and the Browns are playing great football. I mean, they're only one game behind, and they have the head-to-head Week 17. It is not just like a possibility that the Browns could win the division. It's like I almost put it in the likely category that the Browns can win this division. Yeah, it's becoming more and more of a reality that that Week 17 game is is going to be a big one. It's going to be for the division. It's amazing. Who, who would have thought this? The Browns have won 10 games this season. It looks like they're going to end that 17-year playoff drought. I'm happy for Browns fans in general. I mean, that's a loyal fan base, and they're loyal to that team. They've been suffering for a long time, and and now they have something to celebrate. And I'm I'm just glad that Cleveland is going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to be a dangerous out because they're playing good defense. They can apply pressure on the quarterback. The quarterback, Baker Mayfield, is taking care of the football, and they can run the ball. They can control the clock. Nobody would want to play the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. Let's talk about another team that really is hitting their stride. It's the Buffalo Bills. Right now, you can make an argument that the Buffalo Bills are the second-best team in the NFL just behind the Kansas City Chiefs. It pains us, right, Ed? I mean, to talk about Josh Allen as an MVP candidate. Who would have thought that? When you were watching games even last year, forget about rookie season, when he wasn't good. When you were watching games last year, you almost got the feeling that Josh Allen is going to be out of the league in three years. He's not going to survive. Well, you know what? His completion percentage between last year and this year has risen 10%. That's absolutely amazing. We're watching a different quarterback this year. I think there's one thing to consider with Josh Allen that uh, you know maybe we didn't we didn't really see in his in his career stats and maybe this even went back to his high school level. I'm not going to try to claim that I watched Josh Allen in high school, but you know he had a low completion percentage then and is that maybe he just didn't have the receivers. Now he's got Stefan Diggs who is among the best route runners in the league and now he has a guy who's getting open for him and coaches scouts fans have believed in this guy for a long time and now i mean now he's he's really peaking and mvp maybe but he's he's established himself as one of the elite quarterbacks in the league the bills are one of the best teams in the league i think he is definitely carrying that offense i mean they've got some pieces around him but Really, he's the guy who's running that offense. I'm going to say this, that Josh Allen has developed. I watched a lot of his college games, and I scouted him uh, very seriously. He was a raw quarterback. He was just a physical specimen, a dual threat with the strong arm. And we saw it during those two years, the first two years. He wasn't a complete quarterback by any means. But in the offseason, he worked with Jordan Palmer. And Jordan Palmer seems to be a wizard when it comes to developing these quarterbacks many people trust him and they work with him and Josh Allen seemed to spend a lot of time with him during 
you know, obviously the the COVID portion of it. He had a long off season. He worked on his game, and he has developed his accuracy. His footwork has gotten better. He has developed that deep ball accuracy. You make a good point. He does have Stefan Diggs, who's a great route runner. He can get open. Preparing and working on your game and improving. You know, obviously, the Buffalo Bills were the team that believed in him because they traded up in that draft to get him. If the Browns believed in him, they would have picked him number one overall instead of Baker. If the Jets believed in him, they would have picked him instead of Sam Darnold with that third overall pick. That's not what happened. The Bills traded up, they moved up, and they've developed him. And I give the credit to Brian Dable as well because he's been a terrific play caller, and it seems like he's been pushing all the right buttons. And give Josh Allen credit as well. He has worked on his game. The, certainly a guy who was, who was very raw, coming out of Juco, coming out of uh, Wyoming. He has surpassed all of our expectations. Uh, we talked about Josh Allen. Uh, he's got those weapons of wide receiver with Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. Gabriel Davis has been a nice addition as a rookie as well. How serious are, are you taking the Bills in terms of can they challenge the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, I, I think AFC Championship game is where they're they're going to go this year. I don't I don't see anybody beating Kansas City this year. I mean, Kansas City is probably the best team in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills have one thing in common with each other is that they're both teams that are built around modern NFL. They're the types of teams that you know, aren't, aren't going to win in the run game. You know, there there are teams that know how to win the passing game. You know, they're gonna they're gonna beat you with the pass. Um, you know, they're gonna you know the Bills have a very good secondary, and I, I think that's that's exactly why they they they're they're where they are. are. Are the Bills a complete team? I don't think they're this complete. You know, multi-talented. Um, you know, well-balanced team. No, I think they can outthrow you. I think they can outscore you. And I think when the defense needs a stop on third down, they can make it happen. Well, you mentioned that secondary, and that secondary is great. But the one thing that I've noticed, a lot of people are paying attention to Josh Allen and, and the numbers that he's putting up. But that defense has really hit its stride over the past seven games. If you look at the stats... They've been able to get after the quarterback. They're getting more sacks. They're forcing more pressure. Turnovers is something this defense has been able to do all season. They're going to give up some plays, but they'll also come out and force those turnovers. You mentioned that they're not a complete team, but against Denver, I saw them being successful in the run game. They gained 182 yards on the ground, and if they can get that the rest of the way, that's going to be great balance to, to go along with their MVP candidate. I'm just happy. Again, we talked about the Browns, but I'm happy for the Bills as well. The The Bills have clinched their first AFC East division title since 1995. That's when Marv Levy, the, the great head coach that, that took the Buffalo Bills to four straight Super Bowls and lost, he was still the head coach back then. They've won seven of their last eight games. They're going to try to continue it this week against the New England Patriots. Uh, Bovada has the Bills minus seven versus New England this week, and it's amazing. I mean, the the baton, as they say in track and field, has been passed. Uh, The Patriots are no longer the lead dog in this division. It's the Buffalo Bills, and it looks like the Bills and the Dolphins are 
going to be competing for these divisions in, in years to come. And, and the Patriots are in rebuild mode. I mean, that's what it looks like right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's been good for the NFL is that there have been some good quarterback classes of late. And so that's kind of changing the landscape a little bit. I mean, it, it kind of started back in 2017 with Patrick Mahomes. And then, you know, we saw Lamar Jackson come into the league and we've seen the emergence of Josh Allen. And, you know, so, the, so there are some good young quarterbacks. I mean, we see Kyler Murray getting better. Um, you know, Russell Wilson was always kind of like a top seven quarterback in the league. And now that, you know, some of the kind of old greats like the Peyton Mannings and the Tom Brady's are starting to get older and the Roethlisberger's are starting to get older. I mean, really, really from that sort of era, I mean, the last, you know, top quarterback from that era was Aaron Rodgers. And I I, I mean, we're just we're just in the new era of, of quarterbacks now. And, you know, and, and it's for the taking, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowls? I mean, we're in the end of Patriot reign. We're in the end of. This is going to be the Chiefs' opportunity to win a lot of Super Bowls. Andy Reid, you know, he's not going to just want one. Uh, he's going to want more. And Patrick, he has Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, we're just we're just going to see different battles. I mean, for for so long in that generation, I mean, we we always were kind of seeing in the AFC. It was Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady. I mean, one of those three guys was in almost every AFC championship game. I think it was like the majority, a good majority of them. And now we're just in a new era of quarterbacks. Well, I'm sure fans from the New York Jets and the Jacksonville Jaguars are saying, hey, we've got a chance. We've got that number one, number two pick. And we also have a chance to to pick up our franchise type of quarterbacks that can change our teams around for the future. So here, here, as they say, let's turn our attention to college football and uh talking about the BCS and the top four teams have been revealed. Alabama is number one after they beat the Florida Gators in the SEC championship game. Clemson Tigers got that revenge against the Notre Dame Irish and they did it in huge fashion uh, by just obliterating the Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. Ohio State Buckeyes, they had 22 players out due to COVID. A couple of key starters, Justin Fields, had a little bit of an injury that he dealt with. But Trey Sermon <laughs> rushed for over 300 yards. Amazing when I'm say 300 yards in a Big Ten championship game against Northwestern. Ohio State is at number three. Notre Dame sneaks in at number four after losing to Clemson. Um, that was the only loss that they had, 10-1. and one. The one team that was out, and I guess they do have an argument, it's the SEC team, the Texas A&M Aggies. We're going to debate that number four spot, Notre Dame versus Texas A&M. I want to hear your argument, Ed. Go ahead. I mean, I just want to start this argument off saying I, I understand I'm in the majority, and I, and I want to be heard on this. The Aggies had to play in the SEC, and it, and it 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 would be really good for college football if if you know some other team, you know the top team, the team that goes to the SEC championship, got into the college football playoff. I think I think just from that point of view, I think you need to give teams like Auburn, teams like Texas A&M, a chance to play in this game because the, sometimes they are the top four team in the league. This isn't my main argument. I mean, the Aggies the Aggies only lost one game. 
and they lost that one game to the Alabama Crimson Tide, who are, who are the number one team in the country. I mean, Alabama obliterated everyone they played. I mean, this might be the best Alabama team in the Nick Saban era. I mean, you just think about how many great Alabama teams there have been. This might be the best Alabama team. I mean, just the way they have obliterated their competition. And the fact of the matter is, is that Texas A&M only lost that one game. They've lost, they haven't lost any other game. I just thought you were going to bring it. And I thought you were going to have all these statistics and you were going to like the Aggies is, is a great team because this, 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 that's all I heard. Because they play in the SEC, and the SEC usually gets favoritism because they are the number one conference in the land, and I get that. We've seen many times that two SEC teams get in. I mean, we've seen that with Alabama. We've seen that with Georgia in the past. And I'm actually glad that the committee didn't go with favoritism this time because it's the SEC. How can you put a team that doesn't play in the conference championship game? How can you do that? I mean, we're talking about Alabama that won the SEC championship game. We're talking about Clemson that won the ACC championship game. We're talking about Ohio State that won a Big Ten championship game. And we're talking about Notre Dame that played against the best team in the land, even though they weren't the number one seed. But Clemson showed with Trevor Lawrence that they're good. And then you throw out an argument that Texas A&M lost to Alabama. Well, we can throw that argument out, and I'll tell you why, because... Notre Dame, its lone loss was against Clemson. So we, we are throwing that out completely. Alabama beat Texas A&M by 28 points, and Clemson beat Notre Dame by 24 points. So that argument is out. And then you have to look at the teams. Are we saying that we got to get the team from the SEC? I mean, what kind of a biased argument is that? I'll give you stats because I came prepared and I'll give you my argument because I think my argument is is pretty solid. Let's start with Notre Dame. Notre Dame, they were ranked number two in the playoff rankings until that ACC game. They were unbeaten. Notre Dame beat, obviously we know they beat Clemson earlier without Trevor Lawrence, but they were still the number one team in the land. And then they beat UNC by 17 points. And North Carolina was ranked number 19 in the nation. They're an 8-3 and three team uh, who is probably going to be ranked in the top 15 when it's all said and done. Notre Dame, they had four wins over opponents with the winning record. Four wins. They had eight wins by at least 14 points. Eight wins by 14 points. The point differential for the Fighting Irish on the season is 16.6 points. Let's look at the Aggies. The Aggies beat the Gators. The Florida Gators are also an 8-3 team. And there is that SEC bias where the Florida Gators are getting ranked ahead of Cincinnati. And it is a bias. I mean, I've supported Florida all along, but there's no way Florida should be a top 10 team right now. The Aggies, two wins compared to the four wins that Notre Dame had over opponents with the winning record. One win over a ranked opponent. Just one. Only three wins by at least 14 points. Three wins. Notre Dame had eight. And their point differential is 10.6 points on the season. So that's my argument. When I'm pitting these two teams between each other and I'm comparing them Notre Dame wins out in almost every category, except for one, 
And this was, I thought this was the argument that you were going to come up with because I would say it's the strongest argument for Texas A&M Aggies. It's their strength of schedule. Even though the Aggies only had, what, two wins over opponents with a winning record, their strength of schedule is ninth in the nation, while Notre Dame's schedule is 42nd. So some teams that Notre Dame played in the ACC were just terrible. In the SEC, obviously, the competition is a little bit greater week in and week out. Again, even coming up with the strength of schedule argument, Notre Dame Irish went out in almost every Well, game. there's one thing that, that's giving Notre Dame a boost in all this that you can't catch in the stats. And that's the fact that they beat Clemson not with Trevor Lawrence, but with their rookie, with their freshman quarterback. So the fact is, is that they were playing against Clemson with a backup quarterback, and that was their signature win. That was the best win that Notre Dame had this year, was against a backup quarterback. And it was in South Bend. And Texas A&M, and Texas A&M had a win three points over the Florida Gators. Just three points over the Florida Gators. It's not like they blew them out by 14 or 21 points. Gators are a good team, but Texas A&M didn't show the dominance. And this is the Florida Gators team that went 8-3. and three. They had three losses. If the Gators had at least one loss in that SEC championship game, that but would Alex, be one thing. But this is so, the thing. is, is like, who, who did Notre Dame beat other than Clemson with a backup quarterback? They beat UNC. The, UNC. That was their signature win. Other than that, they didn't beat any. Their they signature did, they didn't win beat was against Clemson. a single other ranked team. That's the other point. I think you're not listening, Ed. They had four wins over opponents with the winning record. That's Notre Dame. Your Texas A&M Aggies only had one win over the ranked What were the ranked Gators. opponents that Notre Dame beat other than – I'm not talking about winning record teams. I'm talking about teams with a, with a, who were ranked. Who were the top 25 teams that Notre Dame beat? Because the, the teams that I counted – Clemson, Clemson and UNC. Clemson and but there's UNC. nobody else. Texas A&M only beat Florida, Ed. Texas A&M only beat Florida. So Notre Dame beat more ranked teams – then but Texas who did, who did Texas? I mean, Texas A&M doesn't have any cupcakes on their schedule either. There are no cupcakes in the SEC. Well, I mean, we we can argue, but a lot of teams had down years. I mean, LSU had a down year that. But that LSU beat, still beat Florida. They didn't have a great. I mean, LSU, LSU, yeah. I mean, LSU wasn't the team of last year. That's for sure. But LSU still beat Florida. That was a fluke. I mean, we all know that the shoe throwing incident. LSU shouldn't even be in the position of winning that game. The Gators would have won if that did, if that incident wasn't called. I mean, we all know that. It's tough to put yourself out. They beat Mississippi State by only four, 14 points. I watched that game. They didn't play well. But the Mississippi, the Mississippi State not, is in Georgia Tech. You know what I mean? Mississippi State's a better team. Georgia Tech is better than Mississippi State. That's right. Georgia Tech is better. I mean, if you watch the games, Georgia Tech is a better team than Mississippi State. I brought up the stats, and I just think that Notre Dame's defense, you and I have seen them, and we've seen the Aggies as well. I've been impressed with Notre Dame throughout the season. All, the entire season. That was the best team until they ran across the Clemson team with Trevor Lawrence. So again, that argument is completely out. Texas A&M lost to Alabama, and Notre Dame lost to Clemson in the championship game. So we shouldn't even bring it up. But the fact is, Notre Dame, when you look at the stats... They had a better team, and that's why they're number four, and the Aggies are looking on the outside. By the way, we're going to find out. The Aggies are going to play against the North Carolina Tar Heels in a bowl game. 
So we're going to find out by how much they win because Notre Dame beat UNC, I think, 34-17 to in that game. We'll find out if the Aggies will be able to win and what will be the, the point differential. UNC is playing without a lot of its stars, all right? Deami Brown is entering the draft, the wide receiver. Michael Carter is preparing for the draft. I don't know if they'll have Javante Williams. He hasn't announced. So the North Carolina Tar Heels aren't going to be the same team that Notre Dame played, but it will be interesting to see when the Aggies face off in the bowl game. And I, I think that's that's going to be an indication to you. If the Aggies come out and they, they win, they beat UNC 41-10, to 10, we'll return back to this argument. If the Aggies win by three points or lose, you don't have an argument. And... The other people that are trying to put the Aggies in the college football playoff also don't have an argument at all. People want to see Notre Dame in the playoff. They don't want to see the Aggies. I mean, just Notre Dame is a bigger draw. Notre Dame gonna, is going to draw the whole Midwest and New England and, you know, I mean, just different pockets of the country. I mean, whereas Texas A&M is really going to just cover, you know, parts of Texas. I mean, maybe, you know, Texas Longhorn fans will watch them do. But re, in the reality of this, I'm sure that's part of the conversation. As they said, Notre Dame, we want to have the, the historic team in this tournament. I am as unbiased as it comes to this argument because I'm not an Aggies fan. I'm not a fighting Irish fan. But when I look at the two teams, fair and square, Notre Dame is the better team, and that's the reason why they're, they're in the college football playoff and a number four seed. I think, I think this debate will be solved in the, call, in the bowl season. We are joined by Oklahoma State Cowboys football writer for the Oklahoman, Scott Wright. Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Things seem to go downhill since the Texas loss. What went wrong? Well, it was uh, it was a few different things. Uh, you know, they had uh, injuries on the offensive line that really were piling up from uh, from the very start of the season, and they got hit with another one in the Texas game. They had three starters out at that point on the offensive line, and uh, it really became difficult for them to uh, to do a lot of the things that they wanted to do offensively. Uh, in terms of uh, what they could block and what they could uh, could protect. Uh, that was uh, a, a real downer for the season. Uh, Chuba Hubbard got hurt and was uh, really ineffective in his last couple of games. He only carried the ball 14 times in his last two games of the season before he opted out the rest of the year. So that was uh, that was a little bit of a difficulty, and uh, and the offense just couldn't uh, couldn't produce enough to uh, to back up a really good defense. You know, obviously the. Uh, the Bedlam game against Oklahoma was uh, was a different story. They were kind of steamrolled in that one, but but other than that, the defense was uh, was really solid all season. The offense just just struggled to produce as much as uh, as what they needed. It's kind of strange, huh, Scott? I mean, the defense playing well and the offense underachieving. Those things don't go together when we talk about Oklahoma State. No, you're exactly right. It was a it was a strange season to see the uh, the defense. Being one of the best in the Big 12, and uh, and the offense having one of their uh, their worst years in uh, in Mike Gundy's 16 seasons at, at Oklahoma State, uh, he's uh, typically had offenses that that are very productive and defenses that'll come around that once uh, once every few years and have a good year. But this was a uh, a, a backwards year in uh, in those terms for uh, for Oklahoma State. Is that a, a signal of things to come? Do you think this defense can continue to, to play at a high level like they did last year if we're talking about next season? 
Yeah, I do. I think that they've got uh, they've got enough guys coming back off of this year's team. Now, now this year they had uh, they had ten returning starters coming into to this season. So you knew they were going to be strong, but they'll have uh, most of the defensive front, the front line uh, coming back. Uh, they do lose some guys at linebackers that uh, that are going to move on to the next level and have a chance to play uh, in the NFL. And Amon Bongbamika and Malcolm Rodriguez, you know, behind them they they lose Rodarius Williams and everybody else. Uh, beyond that is uh, is returning. So they've got a lot of uh, a lot of talent coming back. They've got some key pieces to replace, but uh, but I think they have a chance to be a uh, a really solid defense again next year. What is the one game that stands out to you from 2020? What was the most memorable game? Uh, a positive manner for Oklahoma State, the most memorable one turned out to be uh, the Iowa State win. Uh, that was a, uh, a game that, uh, at the time, you thought uh, that Oklahoma State needed to win that game to remain in the in the running or uh, in control, really, of the, the Big 12 title race, race to the Big 12 title game anyway. Because, uh, you know, at that point, Oklahoma already had two losses and uh, Iowa State then had a loss after that. Felt like like Oklahoma State was uh, was in control of their own destiny at that point. Um, on the uh, on the negative side, from the Oklahoma State point of view, the uh, the TCU game really stands out. A game where you uh, where you create five turnovers, you uh, you have a scoop and score touchdown early in the game by your defense, and uh, and you still manage to lose uh, lose a ball game where you have have five takeaways and just can't do anything with them. And uh, you end up losing 29 to 22. That was uh, a game that kind of described exactly what we were talking about earlier with a defense that was uh, performing at a really high level and an offense that just couldn't back them up. How would you sum up the year that Spencer Sanders had? Well, it was um, was hard to judge exactly what kind of a year he had because there were moments when he looked like he had really – taking the next step in his game and then there were moments when he looked like uh, looked like the freshman version of himself again he didn't show the consistency that you needed out of him in terms of his growth he did better as the season went on he uh, he didn't turn the ball over quite as much you know that Texas game was a uh, was a, a rough one for him he had two fumbles and an interception in that game but after that, he uh, he got the uh, the turnover issues a little bit under control. So he's just a guy who's uh, he's so competitive. He's going to try to make plays. He's got a he's got a little bit of Brett Favre in him, and that he thinks he can make every play. And there are some throws that he he tries to fit into some really tight windows, or uh, or uh, loses track of some defenders, and and ends up throwing an interception. He's good for at least one of those a game. And it was a year where he showed some progress. But not as much as you uh, as you maybe expected for a, for a guy that was going into his second season. Chuba Hubbard is leaving for the NFL. What has he meant to this team over the last three years? He's meant a lot in a lot of different ways. Off the field, the players really appreciated the things that he did to stand up for them uh, last off season in terms of uh, of how they were. Uh, how they felt they were being viewed by their head coach, Mike Gundy. And that meant a lot to the program overall in getting some things changed on the field. He brought a, a ton of positive attention last season. Obviously this season didn't go the way that, uh, that anybody hoped for, uh, for Chuba because of uh, a nagging ankle injury really over the second half of the season before he uh, took a seat and, and, uh, and then had to opt out or didn't have to opt out, chose to opt out leading the uh, nation in rushing a year ago 
was uh, was a really big deal. He brought a lot of uh, a lot of positive attention to Oklahoma State through uh, through doing that. And like I said, the things he's done off the field uh, were very important for the program. How clutch has Tylen Wallace been for the Cowboys when he's been healthy, at least? It, it got to the point by the end of his career that you were more surprised when he didn't make an impossible catch than uh, than you were when he did make one. He's such a talented guy when it comes to making contested catches, catches in traffic, getting open at the exact right time when they uh, when they really need him. It's hard to describe how clutch he was. It's hard to put it into words because uh, because he came up with so many big plays for them in uh, in so many critical moments throughout the entire season. And uh, and it didn't matter who the quarterback was when Spencer Sanders was injured and Shane Ellingworth was playing. They developed a really quick relationship, and uh, and Illingworth was able to find him for a lot of big plays in moments that they needed them. So there were a lot of different moments over the course of his career when uh, when Tyler Wallace has uh, has been a superstar for Oklahoma State. They're uh, they're excited to get one more game out of him, and uh, we'll see see just how healthy he is for the bowl game. But uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think that uh, that he'd be going out there if he was putting himself in uh, in too much danger. At that point, he's a really uh, important player to this program. Uh, the Cowboys have always had that that big time wide receiver through the years: Des Bryant, Justin Blackman, James Washington, and now we've talked about Tylen Wallace. Who do you expect to step up next year in place of of Wallace? That's uh, that's a big question because you know he's been the guy over the, over there for so long. It's hard to project exactly who might be next. Braden Johnson is a guy who has uh, has has been playing on the opposite side and has done really well. Has improved his hands and shown his uh, his his big time speed. He's a little bit different kind of player than Tyron Wallace, but uh, he's made some important catches over the uh, course of his career. And then you look at uh, younger guys. You've got guys like Langston Anderson or Rashard Odoms. Who are two guys that uh, that I think have uh, have bright futures ahead of them? They're just unproven at this point, so they need to uh, to to get some time under their belt to uh, to really, you know, take that next step in their the progression of their careers. Who was that one player that had that breakout season? Who surprised you this year? That a player that came out of nowhere. Well, it's a, a little bit of an odd answer, but uh, but I'm, I'm going with uh, with left tackle Jake Springfield. He, he wasn't just a, a dominant left tackle, but he's a guy who was a, a, a redshirt freshman. He was a walk-on. Uh, he was awarded a scholarship in August because of some injuries. He was forced into the starting lineup uh, in uh, in the first game of the season, and he was a guy that that stood stood out and and really solidified the left side of the offensive line. So. For a guy to go from from a walk on to uh, to a starting left tackle is a uh, is quite a jump and and he was an impressive guy and you know like I said he wasn't just dominant over there and he's not winning any awards but to go from from where he came from to uh, to what he became was uh, was really impressive and 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 that answer also speaks to uh, the uh, the level of the returning starters that they had and what they did because they didn't really allow for uh, a lot of new guys to break through you know ten returning starters on defense like I mentioned you know they had uh, that most of the uh, the offense was experienced guys with the, with just a couple of, uh, of of new guys stepping in not a, a a year for a lot of breakout opportunities on this team. How is this team doing in recruiting? 
It's uh, it's been a solid year. They're uh, about where they uh, where they typically are in the 30s to 40s. You know, they're not a team that uh, that jumps up there and and fires off a top 10 class. They're uh, you know Mike Gundy's philosophy has always been to uh, to look for guys that fit the program and fit the culture and and aren't going to uh, to disrupt things by because they're uh, you know if they're uh, they're too selfish or. Or uh, or don't have a, an attitude that's that's going to fit with the program, or you know, Stillwater is a is a unique place to live, and uh, there are some some recruits that are not in the mood to uh, to live in a place like Stillwater. So they uh, they recruit guys that they think are going to stay, that that they think are going to fit the culture of the program, and, uh, and at the same time they're going to fit into spots to uh, to help them. But that said, they uh, they did uh, they did really well. In uh, in recruiting the guys that they wanted, and they got the Green Twins from uh, from Allen, Texas, Blaine and Bryson, who were both both very highly recruited uh, wide receivers, six two, two ten, really talented players. They did uh, the Cowboys did really well in state, which is always important. They got seven Oklahoma kids, Aiden Kelly, a defensive tackle from a, a small town in in Oklahoma called Thomas. That was one of the, the shining stars from uh, from their recruiting in in state as well as Colin Oliver from Edmond Santa Fe, the same school that produced Trace Ford and Calvin Bundage, two, uh, two of the top pass rushers that, uh, that Oklahoma State has on the team right now. You know, they, uh, they did what they wanted to do and, uh, and, and put together a, a pretty solid class. Tylen Wallace is a senior. He's been invited to the Senior Bowl, and if he's healthy, he's going to play there. Chuba Hubbard is leaving for the draft as a junior. Tevin Jenkins, I think the right tackle, is going to play at the Senior Bowl as well. You mentioned a couple of linebackers that will most likely test the waters. Do you expect the other seniors to, to take advantage of that extra year of eligibility? I, I think that there are some that will. Uh, I think there are some guys that realize that they have a chance to uh, to be the guy next year. You look at a, uh, a running back like L.D. Brown. Who was a guy who uh, who kind of had his moments, but didn't get a ton of uh, a ton of carries, uh, being behind Chuba Hubbard early and then being injured late. You know, you look at a, a linebacker like Devin Harper, who was stuck behind two seniors uh, as well, and uh, and didn't get a ton of opportunities to play. Uh, I think those are the type of guys that could really benefit from that extra year. It's uh, it's a it's a tough decision for for kids to to have to make because you know some some guys are are ready to be done with school and uh, and ready to move on and 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 see what's next in life whether it's football or not some guys understand the value of uh, of the education that they can uh, continue to uh, to get paid for and uh, and go ahead and, and come back obviously Oklahoma State has a big game coming up in the bowl game and Bavada has the Cowboys as a a two-point favorite versus the, the Miami Hurricanes can Oklahoma State upset Miami in the G-Zip Bowl? What's your prediction? I was a little surprised to uh, to see the line being like that. I thought uh, I really thought Miami would be the uh, be the favorite. I like the offense that uh, that Miami has. I think it's a, uh, a a tough matchup for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is going to be without Trace Ford, one of their best pass rushers, one of their best defensive linemen in terms of containing a, a mobile quarterback uh, like Derek King is. That makes for a, a difficult matchup there because he runs the ball so well and scrambles so well. That aspect of the uh, of the matchup really uh, really would scare me a little bit if I'm Oklahoma State. So 
what is the uh, what is the Cowboy offense going to be able to do now? Uh, Miami is without their uh, their best pass rusher as well. He opted for the uh, NFL draft. Uh, that helps a little bit, but still, you've got to got to protect Spencer Sanders. You got to block for the run game. So much of what Oklahoma State does on offense keys off of what they can do running the ball. So that's a uh, huge part of this game what they can do to get the run game going with uh, whoever it ends up being, whether it's L.D. Brown or Desmond Jackson or uh, or the true freshman Dominic Richardson who broke out with a big game against Baylor in the uh, in the regular season finale. So they've got guys who can uh, who can produce from the running back position. They just uh, they need to be able to block for them and get some uh, get some open holes to uh, to set up some of the play action and the RPO and Spencer Sanders in the zone read things like that that they like to do off of the run game. And Tylen Wallace is expected to play in this game, right? Yes, he is. He is. Uh, he is believed that is believed that he's going to play in this game. We haven't uh, spoken directly to him uh, yet because of the uh, limited media availability, but that's the uh, belief is that he is going to be available. Scott, I know you cover the Cowboys, but I have to ask you about the the cross state rival, the the Sooners, just really quickly. Uh, Lincoln Riley won his fourth straight Big Twelve title. Can you sum up what the Sooners have done this season? Well, this season was really impressive to uh, to go from where they started with those uh, those two really uh, somewhat unexpected losses. You know, losing to Iowa State was one thing. Losing to Kansas State was uh, and blowing a big lead against them was uh, was another thing. It was uh, doom and gloom early in the season for the Sooners, but they bounced back. Spencer Rattler, a quarterback, really had uh, an, an impressive – he showed a lot of growth over the course of the season, and uh, that was uh, hugely important. The defense uh, rallied well and came back and, and bounced back and was playing incredibly well at the uh, end of the season. Of course, the uh, the early suspensions for Ramondre Stevenson, the running back, and Ronnie Perkins, the defensive end, were painful for them, and uh, and things changed when those two guys came back and uh, and were able to play. Really, a a good season for uh, for Lincoln Riley and the Sooners to uh, to turn things around and get going on the right track. Do you get the feeling that he's going to stay at Oklahoma, or is he going to listen to the NFL? It's a, it's a tough one with uh, with him, you know. With with Bob Stoops, you always had a feeling that that he was going to be at Oklahoma for a long time. Uh, Lincoln Riley, it's a little bit harder to read than uh, than Stoops was. You know, he could be a guy that uh, that is willing to listen. I think that there's always the chance that uh, that, those, that one of those opportunities could be the right one for him. Uh, you know, he's in a situation where he does. He has the opportunity to be picky about what uh, what job he would take. He doesn't uh, doesn't have to to jump at something that's that's not a good fit for him. That's going to be interesting to see how uh, how things transpire with him as as the head coach. You know, it wouldn't surprise me to to see him be willing to take one of those jobs. Scott, please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and where they can find your work. Uh, well, my work is at Oklahoman.com every day, and uh, follow me on Twitter at ScottWrightOK. Okay. Scott, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Let's pick our uh, favorite bowl game for this week. I mean, there are a lot of bowl games, obviously, on tap in the next week, and uh, uh, we're not going to preview the, the New Year bowls. We're not going to talk about the BCS playoffs. 
But let's get to your um, favorite game this week. Well, I, I think you have to look at the, the Liberty versus Coastal Carolina game. It's it's the Mortgage Cure Bowl. Um, you know, this this will be Coastal Carolina's opportunity to, you know, so how to have their signature season, you know, go undefeated. And they, they are the favorite in this game. But they're not playing a cupcake in Liberty. I mean, Liberty is only a one-loss team, and they've beaten a lot of teams. Granted, Liberty is not, you know, Power 5 conference you know they're an independent, and they play a lot of non-power five conference schools. But Liberty is a is is a growing program, and Liberty's not going to just you know get walked on by Coastal Carolina. Well, they've got a great quarterback in Malik Willis, uh, the Auburn transfer, who's had a great year and certainly is is being not recognized nationally as he should. This was the game that was supposed to happen a little bit earlier, a couple of weeks ago, but it was canceled uh, due to COVID. And that's, I'm glad that they're rekindling this uh, this bowl game and that they're finally going to play because this was the game we're, we're supposed to watch. And Coastal Carolina didn't have the Sunbelt Championship game because of uh, one player on Coastal Carolina who tested positive and we didn't get to see Coastal Carolina versus Louisiana. That's both opponents. They know each other. They studied each other, and uh, it's going to be a great game. I'll mention another bowl game. I'll mention the the two losers from the championship game. Buffalo lost in the MAC championship game. Marshall lost in the Conference USA game. But I'm talking about the Camellia Bowl in in Alabama this Friday. And Buffalo, with that great running game, according to Bavada, they're minus four and a half points versus Marshall. But this is going to be one running team against a good defense and another team that also wants to establish their running game. So I think that's going to be a fun matchup as well. I'm, we didn't get these championship games right. We picked Buffalo. We picked Marshall. They came out on the losing end. Now they're playing against each other. It should be a, a great game. Let's talk about another bowl game that happened on Tuesday. It was BYU versus UCF. Both offenses were ranked in the top 10 in the nation. It was Zach Wilson against Dylan Gabriel. We knew UCF was going to score a lot of points. Well, you know what? BYU came out on top. The BYU won the game 49-23, to and... Let's talk about Zach Wilson. I mean, the man was on fire against UCF. Yeah, I mean, he he went out and dominated, and I mean, you, you could you could just see on Twitter. I mean, everyone everyone was hyping the Zach Wilson. I mean, I think I think we caught on a little earlier than everyone else, but now now the conversation is really changing. I mean, he is he is really dominating. He's moving around the pocket. He's throwing accurately. He's throwing deeply. He's running all over these teams. He is dominating that level of competition, and he is ready for an NFL job. Oh, he's definitely going to enter the draft. He has already he's already auditioning some agents out there, and this was his last game. Almost confident in saying that Zach Wilson will enter the the 2021 NFL draft, and he's got all the tools. And uh, certainly, he was healthy this year. His accuracy, his decision making improved. Let me throw it out there. So the first overall pick right now in the draft is going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. That could change, but the Jaguars will take Trevor Lawrence. How about that number two pick? Right now, the New York Jets are sitting there. Justin Fields or Zach Wilson? Does this game sway your pick? Who would you take? 
I, I just I just see the upside in Zach Wilson. I mean, he just I know this is an extreme name to throw out there, but he's he he kind of has that shades of Mahomes playing style. You know, that sort of it's a little bit of that run and gun, high risk reward type of play. You know, and and he has all the tools. And to be honest with you, a lot of the arguments against Zach Wilson are kind of the same arguments against Patrick Mahomes. You know, they say he's boomer bust and they say he, you know, didn't play against great competition in college and, you know, plays, played at Texas Tech. And they say the same thing about Zach Wilson that he played at BYU. But really, to be honest with you, if I'm the New York Jets and I'm sitting on the clock and Zach Wilson interviews well with me. I'm going to take Zach Wilson over Justin Fields, and that that is that is not a slight against Justin Fields. I mean, this is just a very good quarterback class. I mean, if 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 I'm Justin Fields, I mean, I I might I might you know if I don't want to risk getting hurt, I might wait a year, come back for my senior year, and be the number one pick in 2022. I don't think that's happening either. I think Fields will enter the draft because he knows that if, according to you, he doesn't go top two. He'll definitely go top five. I mean, the Carolina Panthers sitting there at number four are almost like, thank you, we'll we'll move on from Teddy Bridgewater. You know, we'll we'll take Justin Fields. Oh, we can actually, it's it's a friendly contract with Teddy Bridgewater. Why not keep him around for 2021? Let him develop Justin Fields, and then Fields can take over like in the second half of the season. I'm saying he's still going to be a top two pick. But you make a good argument with Zach Wilson. I mean, he deserves to be in that conversation as well. But top five, I think Justin Fields is not getting past it. We're going to have three quarterbacks going in the top five when it's all said and done. But the argument with Zach Wilson and Justin Fields is something that that will keep going. But yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. I just... I mean, I, w- I want people to know that this isn't a slight against Justin Fields. I mean, he's had a few bad games, but I mean, he's a he's a guy who has all the tools. He's a guy who can probably help. I mean, of the three, he's probably the guy who can run with the ball the best. We would like to bring in our next guest to the show, Brian Howell. He's Colorado Buffalo's beat writer for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The first question, let's start with the head coach, the the new head coach, Carl Durrell. What are your impressions of Durrell, and how would you rate his first season at Colorado? I think he's done a really good job. And, I mean, uh, you know, certainly when he was hired, people, you know, raised an eyebrow because uh, he was not on anybody's radar and, uh, you know, not been a head coach in about 13 years. He was a surprise hire for a lot of people, and so he was sort of criticized for that hire, but He's done a really good job. He's been great for this team as far as his demeanor. He's just real even keel and calm, and I think that's what this team needed, and um, he's done a great job this season. And he's got a Pac-12 connection. He was he was a Bruins head coach before, so he he knows the ins and outs of, of this conference. Yeah, he played at UCLA. He coached at UCLA. So, uh, yeah, he knows the conference well. And Obviously, back then it was uh, the Pac-10 and not the Pac-12, but, you know, it's the same – uh, for the most part, the same teams. And, you know, even back then when he was UCLA head coach, he coached against Utah a couple times and against CU. So he almost, uh, you know, it was like being in the Pac-12 anyway. So um, he knows this comments pretty well. Let's talk about the most recent game. The The Buffs went 4-1 and one on the season, but they had a chance to, to have that perfect season. They let it slip away. They had the lead at halftime against Utah. What happened in the second half of that game? 
Well, I think part of it is, you know, they lose Nate Lamb and their star linebacker um, in the first half and still did a pretty good job, held top bay for most of, most of the game. But, uh, you know, Lamb is such a, a difference maker. And, you know, when he went out, you know, I think that was, you know, that was a big deal for them. And, you know, Utah had a, a 66-yard touchdown run with about five minutes left to kind of seal the game. And I'm not sure that happened if, if Lamb's in there. And, I mean, it was a six-point game until uh, five minutes left in the game. But um, I think Utah just kind of had a little bit too much. And um, defensively, Utah just shut down the CU offense in the second half. The Bucs couldn't get much going there. What's the latest on late Nate Landman? Um, will he come back next year? I'm not sure. We haven't, we haven't had a chance to talk to him. He can come back. I mean, he's got – you know, a torn Achilles, and so uh, the likelihood of him playing football next year anywhere uh, is probably not good. Um, I mean, that's usually a, a nine to twelve month recovery, and you know, I've, I've talked to people that have had it that they can come back in nine, but they're not the same person, you know, until another year after that. So he may not be the same player until 2022. So for him, if he's hearing from NFL people that he'll be picked and that they're willing to let him rehab, I think he just goes to the NFL and. Might as well get paid while rehabbing as opposed to being in college. Do you expect this team to stay intact for 2021? Do you expect uh, that seniors are going to be back? They won't have any people transferring out? What are you hearing? It's hard to get a real good gauge. I mean, here's certain things off to the side. Um, I would imagine there's still going to be some movement. Um, I don't know what the seniors are going to do. Um, I think somebody like Mustafa Johnson could go to the NFL. Katie Nixon, I'm not sure if he's going to return or not. He he briefly entered the draft with, with last winter and decided to come back. I could see him maybe moving on. Um, there's a couple underclassmen, maybe a Terrence Lang or, or Carson Wells that decide to move on. But um, I think there's going to be some movement. It's hard to tell who that's going to be. I mean, there's some freshmen that you know probably came in and thought they were going to play a lot, but they're not. And there's two in particular that decided to opt out of the bowl game, and so we don't know if they'll come back or not. Yeah, I, there will be some movement, but I, I think that happens every year. So we'll just kind of see what happens with that. Is Jared Broussard the most underrated running back in the Pac-12? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think he's probably, you know, he's only had five games to really prove himself, and so that plays a role. But we'll see. Right now, as we're talking, all the Pac-12 uh, honors haven't come out yet, so we'll see where he is. If he's not first team, uh, all Pac-12, then he's certainly the most underrated running back in the Pac-12 because he's no worse than the second-best running back in the conference this season. Do you think it was the right move to move Sam Neuer from safety to quarterback this year and make him the guy? Yeah, I mean, he was a quarterback all along. I mean, he, was, um, he wasn't he was really a safety. He's a quarterback. And, you know, they only had that two quarterbacks that were going to be on scholarship without Sam. They needed to bring Sam back and, and convince him to come back to compete it's just to fill out that quarterback room a little bit. And I'm not sure that um, they expected him to win the job at that point, but they gave him an opportunity, and he went out and won it. Um, it worked out pretty well for him and for them. How does Levante Chenault compare to LaVisca Chenault? Very different body types. LaVisca's, uh, you know, LaVisca's more of a beast than a guy that can you know, play uh, running back and a wildcat quarterback and things like that. Um, Levante's more of uh, just your typical receiver. He's got that more receiver build where he's thinner, but you know, he's a pretty good pass catcher and, and everything I've heard uh, from people that have been around him is that he's a better receiver than LaVisca was. And we've seen so far this year, he, he's dropped a couple passes, but I think he's been really good. He's, he's currently leading them in receiving uh, as far as catches. So uh, he's really good. I think that he's 
not going to be the star um, dynamic player that LaVisca was, but he could be a really good receiver and an all-pack 12 type of receiver by the time he's done. Based on what we saw in 2020, where does this football team need to make significant improvements for next year? Well, they need, they need quarterback help for sure. Sam Norris can come back, but you know Tyler Lytle has uh, entered the transfer portal, and you know Brendan Lewis is uh, is a true freshman. They need some quarterback help, and uh, I think they need to get a grad transfer or transfer to come in and compete uh, for that starting job, or at least give them some depth there. But they got to keep getting better uh, in the trenches as well. Uh, defensively, they're making some strides, but in the trenches is where this team's got to build, and they've got to stay strong, or else uh, they're not going to compete year in and year out. That's why Utah's so good every single year is because they are so good on the offensive and defensive lines. And um, Colorado's got a little bit of that this year, but they got to get better. Do you have any read on as to why Tyler Lytle entered the transfer portal? I mean, it seemed like he'd be the guy to get the job. Yeah, I mean, he thought he was – I think he thought he was going to uh, get the job this year, and Sam beat him out. And, uh, Sam can come back next year, and Tyler's now been sitting around for four years, and, and he wants to play. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen with this staff. For him, it's uh, you know an opportunity. He can go and play right away, and he's got two years to play. For him, it's an opportunity to go and uh, find a new spot where he can play for a couple of years. You know, we saw the Pac-12 being down this year. You know, USC went unbeaten. They got uh, they lost to Oregon in the championship game. Do you envision the the Colorado Buffaloes returning to that golden age that they had back in the day with? Cordell Stewart and do you envision that in this conference is there a chance I don't think so I mean, I mean maybe but uh, I think they're a long way from from that I mean they got a lot of work to do and you know, this conference is down right now but I mean typically you're going to see USC be up there and Oregon be up there and, and Washington and yeah, I mean, the Buffs got a long way to, to go to, to reach Utah level uh, honestly you know, could they get there maybe but I mean, they got to start having recruiting classes that are top 10, 15 every year. Right now, I mean, they're in the 50s. Uh, it's going to be a long road. And if they get there, it, it might be 10, 15, 20 years from now. But um, they can certainly start making strides if this year helps. Colorado only played five games this season. What do you think their signature win was? Good question. Um, probably Stanford, uh, just because the way Stanford wound up playing uh, this year. I mean, I don't believe Stanford lost after after facing the Buffs. Uh, or at least they finished four and two. I know that. So that was a good win for the Buffs on the road uh, to go out there and beat the Cardinal, and that was probably their best win. Colorado's playing in the Alamo Bowl. What's your prediction for the game against Texas? I think it's gonna be really tough. I don't have a score prediction yet. It's kind of early for me on that. I've got to look at Texas more, but I, I think Texas is uh, you know they're not an elite team, but I think they're at a higher level than CU right now. I think they're going to be the best team CU's played all year. And uh, I think it's going to be a tough one for the Buffs. I mean, uh, Texas runs the ball well. Uh, Sam Ellinger is a better quarterback than CU's seen all season. And uh, I kind of think that, uh, that Texas has its way with the Buffs. And uh, maybe not a big blowout, but I think it, it's probably a, a 10 to 14 uh, point type of game. And that Texas wins kind of going away in the fourth quarter. Tell us where we can find you on social media and who you write for, Brian. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Brian Howell 33, and uh, they can find um, all of our all of our copy at uh, BuffZone.com. Thanks for being with us. You bet. Thanks, guys. Auburn finally gets its man. Uh, you and I 
threw out the names and speculated. You know, you had a couple of names and I had a few. We didn't get it right. <clears throat> we were hoping that one of these guys was was going to become the the head man with the Auburn Tigers, but they decided to go with with another name. Let's let's talk about him, Ed. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like this move, uh, Harson from. Uh... Brian Harson from the Boise State Broncos. I mean, from the reports that were coming out of Auburn, it sounded like it was kind of a political mess. And, you know, there was all these factions of sort of the boosters that, you know, kind of had their all had their guy and none of them seemed right. But I think I think all is well that ends well. I mean, sure, this is the start. But I mean, as far as this process goes, I think I think this is a win. Well, Brian Harson has a record of 64 and 17 at Boise State. He's averaged more than 10 wins per season. He had one season at Arkansas State. He has built up that that Boise State Broncos program again. I mean, Peterson started, Brian Harson kind of just carried the way and they were a winning program in the Mountain West Conference. They were the best program under Brian Harson. You and I didn't look at this name, but I do think Auburn makes the right hire. I mean, this is a guy that definitely has a track record with a couple of programs. And I actually didn't think that this was possible because Brian Harson is from Boise State. I thought he was going to stay put at his alma mater. But what do you think? I mean, obviously, we, we have great coaches that have had success somewhere else, but then they go to an SEC conference, which is the best in the land. How difficult is it going to be to compete with Georgia, Alabama, Florida on a weekly basis. It sure, it sure is going to be tough. I mean, I, I'm going to have to, you know, I, I'm sure some one of these future shows, I'm going to have to convince you that they have to stick with Brian Harson because I mean, it is going to take some time at Auburn. I mean, it, it isn't. I mean, obviously he's going to be bringing in SEC quality players, but I mean, this is a whole new landscape of recruiting for him. Thank you for listening to this holiday edition of Blitzcast. Merry Christmas, everyone. Take care of yourself.